Welcome to Educate, the alternative educational experience. You know when you watch something online or then read an article and then suddenly have that moment of, oh dear, I hadn't really ever thought of that like that. Well, that would have been useful to have known. Well, in comes Educate. Educate offers up the conversations that we really need to hear. It embraces differing perspectives and lived experiences, all with the view to inform public discourse. So, who's my teacher this week then? Deanna Lynn Cook is somebody who I've really, really admired ever since I first met her at university. Her ability to organise, command a room with her presence, ensured that she would fulfil her destiny of being the netball president in our third year. Long may she reign. Deanna and I have always had really interesting chats throughout uni about how to set the world right, what's wrong with the world, maybe over a drink or three or four. But ultimately, she always makes me come away from a chat feeling way more informed and actually super passionate about things. So, when she was getting stuck into her history and English degree, she was first exposed to Caribbean history and Black British history, after thinking this wasn't really something she'd ever be able to study, especially in an academic setting. She felt it was never spoken about, which is pretty bonkers, considering that these are her personal histories. In this episode of Educate, I'm going to be chatting with Deanna about the erasure of female role models in history and the way in which society subconsciously puts limits on black women. And towards the end, we're going to have a general discussion about how society interacts and discusses race. Deanna Lynn Cook, welcome to Educate. Thank you very much. Woo! That was such a cute um, intro. Wow. <laughs> it's when you said over a drink or three and I was thinking 20. <laughs> I feel like we had good drunk chats though. Like oh. you're the person that I could have a solid educational chat knowing full well I was like not with it <laughs> and you were probably not with it but like all that seminar reading just came straight out. Oh honestly I wish we could go back Same. and re-listen but I also don't at the same time. Yeah. I, we weren't speaking sense. No. Nonsense. We <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> okay so Basically, you are my educator for this lesson. So I'm basically going to hand over to you. Okay, I think we're going to start with a little game. Just because game. it's like a pop quiz. You don't know what's coming. Oh, God. Um, but you will be quizzed. Am I going to look like an absolute twat? I hope not. <laughs> but I feel like it's more of a little social experiment because okay. I feel like you, representation of wider society, someone's educated, know your stuff, don't know everything. That's why I'm here. Good God. I'm going to have this quiz. So. The fear is real. Shall I get my yes. sparkly pink notepad? Sparkly pink notepad. You are going to be writing a list. And okay. I'm going to give you a minute and I'm actually going to time. But I just want you to write a list of all women in history that, you know, ideally positions of leadership. But if you can't, just any influential women in history. I don't history. have to like them either, do I? No, 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 not at all. So Margaret Thatcher. Just okay. Start, <laughs> you can start with her. She's always the first That's the first one. one. Yeah. I'm so afraid. Right, are you ready? Yeah. Let's go. Um, okay. Nine, eight, done. <laughs> right, so I think we can all establish I'm really crap at history. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> it just worked out so perfectly, didn't it? For God's sake. <laughs> right, go on, hit me with your list. Right. Maggie Thatcher. Yep. Rosa Parks. Yes. Beyonce. Yes. Lady Gaga. Yes. Jimena Jamil. <laughs> okay. Jen Harvey. Yes. Shout out to Jen Harvey, who was a badass at... Queen Mary. Yes. I just feel like maybe she's not like that historical, but she's made some great pieces of literature. Okay. Um, Kelly Holmes, yes. Angela Merkel, okay. and Oprah. 
I can't think of any okay. more. Right, I'm going to remove Beyonce, Lady Gaga, and Jimmy Fallon <laughs> because I mean historically. No, I really was panicking. I can't really think of any. Right, so you know what? I'm going to give you credit for this list because are you? I didn't think you would do this well. My whole investigation, social experiment, was to see how many women of colour you had on this list, how many black women you had on this list. Interesting. Because I've done a similar exercise yeah. um, with other people, history students, and it is always a small amount of historical black women. Rosa Parks is the one I assumed you would have. Yeah. Oprah is another good one. Kelly Holmes is a legend. Um, I love her. Kelly Holmes uh, is an actual goddess. Yeah, she is. She deserves all her titles, all her medals, and all her accolades. Good for her. Um, she is literally my role model growing up. The interesting thing about this list, I've written a similar list, mm-hmm. and they say I did the same thing. All your women are from the Western world, have no women from the Caribbean. No. No women from Africa. No, no women from Asia. No. Um, so literally, these are the histories that are just not being told. Yeah. From someone like you that's been through education, you've been through primary school, secondary school, university... These are the people you've not been exposed to. Yeah. And that is literally the social experiment. And this is exactly what I was trying to prove. So thank you for that. <laughs> Mic drop. Boom. But yeah, that is literally what I wanted to look at. Because I find that, especially if we talk about like specifically history um, and influential figures, most people can't name a world leader that's a black woman. Right. Um, most people can literally only name people, women in the American civil rights, so, you know, Rosa Parks. Um, and it literally doesn't go further than that. Another thing, interestingly enough, black British women, apart from Kelly Holmes, you can have any. Because I don't think anyone, obviously there are some people that can, but yeah. black British women and their contribution to society, it's just never known about. Like, did you know that in Britain we had a Black Panther party and a movement? What? Black Panthers. Literally. And right? can you just tell me what um, that is? I can. So the Black Panther party inspired by you know the black panthers in america um they were literally fighting for civil rights um in britain and they were kind of moving and shaking around the like 60s and 70s in mostly london in um notting hill and areas like brixton um areas where a lot of caribbean migrants had come over in the windrush generation and later on um and were facing a lot of racial abuse from people that live there from politicians from different policies um in the workforce like there was racism everywhere like yeah. I, I think about what these people my grandparents went through and i actually just cannot do anything but take my hat off to them because i find now that someone makes a comment at me or looks at me in the wrong way and I'm ready to pack it all in. And they were literally, like, physically abused, verbally abused at work, and they just continued and kept going. Um, And that is just, you know, inspirational to me and to everyone. But my issue is that is... That's British history. Yeah. That's not... We're not talking about, you know, history of the Caribbean, which we'll get onto later. (laughs) Um, That is British history, and that has been erased. Like, why don't we know that? Why don't we know about all the women... I, I like want to know who these women are. Okay. Um, we've got... Um, I have a list. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just some of my favourites um, of women, influential women in black British history. Um, so you have Olive Morris, um, Althea Lacointe, who was mm-hmm. one of the British Black Panthers, um, Elizabeth Obi, Beverly Bryan, um, Leila Hassan Howe, and Barbara Beast, who was another one of the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other women who, like Emma Clark, for example, yeah. first Black British um, football player to play for England. You've got Lillian Bader, who was the first um, Black woman in the armed forces in Britain, after being removed previously from the armed forces because <laughs> no. they found out she was Black. 
What? So, okay. So, understandably, her mum is Irish, of Irish descent, and her father is from the Barbados. Right, okay. Um, so, assuming she's mixed race, she's going to be quite light-skinned. I've seen pictures of her. Okay. She's clearly not just white. Yeah. Um, so, she's in the... Um, during World War II, 1939, war breaks out. Um, she gets a job, her first job, actually, um, in the Army, Navy, and Air Force Institute's canteen. Okay. So, you know, she's really happy. Like, I think we forget that a lot of... Black people really helped the war effort because they really believed that, you know, fighting Hitler is something that they felt a duty to their mother country, that being England, whether they were from the Caribbean or, you know, living in Britain at the time. They kind of really took it on themselves to help with the war effort. I feel like everyone in England did. It was quite a big... I feel like it was a weird time because it was such a horrific time. It's war. But the country seemed to actually get together. Like, people in the countryside took in the city kids, you know, all of those things that happened. Everybody rationed. Everyone did ate a little less so that someone else could eat. I felt like it was yeah. actually a really collective spirit. I wish we could maybe channel. Do you know that what I mean? Someone said that to me. Like, right we, need a third, we need a World War Three to like actually like each <laughs> other again because our country is so divided, and it's sickening to think. Yeah, like, we, we all need to start killing each other across the world to like each other here. That's so messed up. <laughs> it's wild, isn't it? I can't deal. I can't right. deal with that. I'm gonna go back to Lillian. Okay. Um, yeah. So she's working in this canteen. Um, after seven weeks, they discover her to be black. She's born in England, so... Sorry, they discover... Discover. Who's they? And, like, the powers that be, the managers. Um, Her supervisor, (laughs) like, knowing how well she worked, did not tell her for weeks. Um, She knew she had to fire her. She didn't want to do it because she'd seen how well she's working. Yeah. Um, And they had to dismiss her. And she returned to, like, her domestic services. She felt, she said, so embarrassed, the fact that she couldn't help with the war effort. She had friends that were soldiers... Um, black and well not, not black actually that would have been white um, and they were saying to her like oh what are you doing kind of for the war effort and she was like well I can't do anything because I'm black and she felt embarrassed by that which makes me feel quite uncomfortable that oh. the fact that she internalised that when she was a victim of racism and she took it on upon herself to feel embarrassed that she couldn't help well no actually so society annoying. should feel embarrassed that they didn't want the labour of a black woman oh my goodness anyway she eventually That's horrendous. got into the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. Good for um, her. Because the RAF were the only force accepting recruits um, that were West Indian. She was the only coloured person in a sea of white faces, as she said. And she really was quite scared that she would be targeted again. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like once you've been... Well, I feel like once anyone says anything to you about your race, identifies that, makes you feel uncomfortable, yeah. it's something you never forget. Like, I've been... <laughs> I was on a plane once... Um, and I was going from New York to London and I was with my mum and my brother and these old couple were in our seats. Um, so we went to so we were like, oh, sorry, I think you're in the wrong seat. A bit in that really polite like, yeah, British like, way. Oh, I think you're in our seats. You are um, in our seats. Literally. And then, you know, sometimes they print the tickets wrong. So I was like, you know, no need to jump down anyone's throat. And they were like, the, the above the um, seats, they were like labelled a bit wrong, to be fair. So the air hostess came over. She's like, oh, no, you guys are in, as in the old couple, they're in the seat in front of you and we're in this seat. Yeah. So they moved, um, started mumbling their brush, were clearly like, uncom- annoyed that they had to move. And I felt for them because, you know, it's like awkward to move around, you're comfortable in your seat on the plane. Yeah. Um, and then they mumbled, oh, why didn't they just go back to where they came from? Oh, and I was like, okay. Oh. And we're about God. to start a 10-hour flight and I'm thinking... And what I does remember, that even? But we're like, what does, does that, that mean? mean? And they were American, by the way. So they're coming to my country because I'm the British citizen here. Oh, for goodness' um, sake! And yeah, I just well, I didn't go back to where they come from. <laughs> it's like, thankfully, my mom didn't hear because um, I feel like 
on a plane there's like what am I going to say to them they're old people they're set in their ways and that's like such a negative way to think about it but I'm not going to try and educate you on a seven hour flight because it's also not it's not necessarily up to you like you shouldn't have to educate people on like lol that this is called (laughs) educate (laughs) love the irony irony. (laughs) but like it's not up to you to you know fill people fill in people's gaps in their knowledge if they haven't taken it upon themselves to try and understand yeah exactly it's not you're ignorant you don't owe anything to their ignorance but that was in fact the moment where I was like oh yeah you know some people don't see me as the way I see myself I Um, hate that dear I hate that but yeah that's and I guess that's I mean probably not the same as what Lillian was going through because she was literally removed from her job but she worked in the RAF um she was part of the war effort and she was very proud of that her dad was in the navy um her sons and her husband who she ended up marrying were also in the merchant navy and she became a leading aircraft woman um she was acting corporal and she was only discharged um, in 1944 after getting married and she got pregnant um and then she became a teacher um and yeah raised two two sons that went on to fight as well and serve our country oh my goodness so she's come from a, a military family you know raised a military family um, and the fact that she had to go through so many obstacles just to serve her country. So, but she's one of my favourite women in history. I'd and say. can you remind me of her name? Lillian Bader. Lillian Bader, Lillian you're Bader. an icon. Indeed, she is indeed. And the only another thing, as I said, women being erased from history, you might be thinking, oh, so why didn't we learn about that in schools? Well, there are very little books on her. In fact, the only book that I found on her was the one she wrote herself. Oh my goodness. Um, which I can't I can't find anywhere and I've been searching the archives. Um, that is the reason why you don't know about her because the state of academia and the state of history at the moment. Now, if yeah. you think about it, this is my personal history. I take Caribbean women in history to be my grandparents in a way, even though not all of them are obviously my grandparents. That's yeah. like, they're my ancestors. They're the people that fought for me to be here right now. Um, and... I feel like maybe it's going to take someone like me to write these people into history because, dare I say, all the middle-class old white men that have gone into academia have not been writing about these women. I mean, a few of them have, but academia at the moment and the history kind of departments across the country are very white. They are very upper-class because um, it is quite expensive to do a master's. It is quite expensive to do a master's in a good city like London, where you've got access to all the archives and all the libraries. Um, And it's even more expensive to do a PhD, especially when you're not getting the funding. But how can you erase, essentially, the last, like, 60 years of history where black people really kind of start coming into this country and building communities? Black people have been in Britain since before Queen Elizabeth I was on the the throne. We don't learn about that. And I used to think that there were no books about it, as I've been going through this degree, I found books written in the 70s and 80s about women um, and black people being in Britain. And don't get me wrong, they weren't all even coming as slaves. Yeah. Some of them were coming as entertainers and workers in a kind of, hate to say it, but a slavish capacity. You know, they were taken from the places that they lived in in Africa, right, brought okay. over to, to serve in court or to be like, not necessarily jesters, but, you know, taken on these entertainment roles. Right, so, okay. But and they entertainment were, with here. a sort of... Yeah. CD and... A very, um, what's that word? Like a freak show-ish. Like, oh my gosh, they're black. Does their skin wash off? A spectacle? Is it coffee? Yeah, a spectacle. Right. Like, you know, they had they had their shows, they had their... Wait, what did you just say? Did you say, is it coffee? Oh, um, yeah, someone said... I think my nan, my nan was a teacher. 
And they were like, oh, like, do you like dye your skin with coffee? Like, does it wash off? Like, oh no, someone. That what is it. wrong with it's people? In the help where she, the um, woman, the little girl asks her, did you drink too much coffee? Is that why you're so dark? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But oh, my God. I can't, I feel like you can't get mad at that. I mean, you can now if people ask that because it's 2019. But back then, if you'd never seen a black person before, you'd never seen a black person oh before. Goodness. You didn't know how, how, how do people become dark? Um, but yeah, I basically think that in, in the short, until we start learning about history, black history in school, history that actually draws people in, history that's not the same every single year. Our curriculum is very boring. I would not become a history teacher because I do not want to teach anyone about Henry VIII. Thankfully, having studying in London, um, especially in East London, I learned about like the Jewish communities that came, learned about black people that came, Asian people that have come from, in for different reasons and for different roles and to fill in different positions in society. But they've all added and shaped history. Yeah, of course. And even down to the culture of Britain today. Like, we're drinking a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Apparently, British seasoning is not very good. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Think about it. Paprika. Bit of salt and pepper. Curry. They're not from England, are they? Salt and pepper. <laughs> it's the salt. It's Himalayan sea salt. It's not from Britain. <laughs> pepper. I don't think we have peppercorn trees in England either. No. No. <laughs> Mic so, drop, whatever yeah. that was. Bottle drop. <laughs> yeah, so... British culture has been so influenced by the rest of the world. And I just don't understand why we don't acknowledge that because our history would be so much more diverse. It would be so colourful, so beautiful. Yeah, of course. Um, but we, we just like to limit ourselves to Henry VIII. Okay, so I think now's the time to just give you a little quiz on the state of the history departments across the, across the country. Okay. Um, so we're looking at a report from the Royal Historical Society, which was published in 2018, October, so like this time last year. Um, so they did like a big study. They um, interviewed, I think, nearly 750 like participants just that are in um, academia, just asking questions about their experiences. And then they got the stats, obviously, you know, from the official reports about how many people are enrolled on courses, da 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 Okay. So, the UK undergraduate population in the UK, Mm -hmm. of that population, Mm -hmm. so think about all the undergraduates, 23.9% of them are black, Mm -hmm. uh, which is lovely. You know, they're going to university. Now, within history department, how many, how, what percent of people do you think are black? Like 8%? 8%. Okay. 11.3. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, when you think about it, so of the whole undergraduate population, 23% of them are black, but proportionately, they aren't going into history. Okay. So why there's only 11%. Oh, okay, that's so annoying. Right? So it's like, okay, we're getting them into university, we're getting black people into university, lovely, amazing. Those barriers are being broken down slowly, but they're not picking history, which takes me back to the point of maybe in school, if they'd learned something other than Henry VIII, the Tudors, the Stuarts, and yeah. the boring monarchs, they, maybe they'd want to do history at That's a degree. That's really annoying. A lot of people don't even pick it for GCSE. Just because... Because it's boring. They can't see themselves... Not yeah. like themselves, but well, like... Oh, yeah, you can't see a representation of yourself and you're thinking. And I think for most black people growing up in Britain, we know our parents and grandparents might have come over on the Windrush, ships like it, planes later. Yeah. Um, we know that we have a history in the Caribbean or in Africa. So the fact that this country that colonised all the countries we came from isn't even acknowledging our history... It's a little bit of a like slap in the face. Really. Yeah, of like, course. We helped build your your society post war, 
the government said to the colonies, they literally came to Jamaica and said, we need you, we need you to help build your mother country. They came over, they, you know, joined the NHS, they were nurses, they were teachers, they were bus drivers, they were taking all these roles and we, they don't even want to put us in history. So that's just a fat slap in the face. So no, I'm not going to go and study history to go and study more white people. Yeah. Thankfully, I interrogated the module selections at many universities when I picked and I picked the university I ended up going to because they had a good proportion of history that I hadn't learnt before and wasn't white. Oh god. Right, this is where we get really juicy. So okay. university historians, right, in the UK. Okay. Percentage of them that are white. Oh for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. This is percentage okay. that are white. So obviously if they're not white, they could be Asian, they could be black. Yes. I'm gonna say it's astronomically high. Okay. I'm going to say, like, 90%. Okay. 96.1%. Oh, baby! That's so, so obscene. So obscene. And then, do you want to break that down further? Oh, God, no! 96.1%, that leaves, what, 3.9% that are, so, people of colour. Yeah. Only less than 1% of them are black. So, 2.9% are Asian, you know, other ethnic minorities, and um, less than 1% are black. Wait, and hold on. And what percentage of those that are black are women? I don't have that stat right now, but I don't want to know what that stat is right now. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'm looking up to one black female professor, and she's at the University of Bath. She's called Olivetta Tole. When you think about it, another reason why, you know, there, there aren't women, because we don't have role models to look up to. In most industries, when you have someone that look, you're looking up to that looks like you, you think, oh, she did it, I can do it. You know, she had yeah, the same racial gender barriers as me. Maybe if you're, like, someone queer and you're heading into a space where there's not many queer people, you'd say, oh, they've done it, I can. Well, I've got one woman to look up to. And then, do you want to know maybe another reason why there's only one? Yeah. Because 29% of all the black respondents from the survey said they directly faced discrimination, abuse, or abuse from academic staff, um, so literally their colleagues, students, or the public. So a third, nearly, of black people answered that survey, and they didn't ask everybody, um, face discrimination. So again, like Lillian, probably told, oh, you know, oh, how are you in this role? Are you capable of doing your job? Those microaggressions that you hear people speaking about, jumping out. A lot of issues starting from the bottom all the way. Starting from the bottom. (laughs) Now we're here. (laughs) That we have to interrogate um, in order to kind of fix these issues and fix these problems. That is... It's a big challenge. It's a fat challenge. And it's not just on any one person. It's not just on any one group of people. It's on the whole of society. To, yeah. We have to demand change. Yeah, of course. That's the end of it, really. Yeah. The whole start of it. 100%. <laughs> it's just a start. So this kind of brings me on mm. to question time, I think. So we've spoken about, with that amazing quote... Um, so with history in general, yeah. the way we learn about history informs the present and Indeed. informs how we uh, process ideas, yeah. things that are going on, um, discussions that are had. Yeah. Now, I want to just bring it into the present now yeah. and talk about how this sort of absence informs the present. Yeah. I've got some questions yeah. that I want to just run through with you, which I've been thinking about. And... I'm hoping that you can offer some answers. Lovely. Um, I'm going to do my best. What are the microaggressions that you feel as a black woman in Britain? 
I know that's a heavy question. It's so heavy. What is a microaggression? A microaggression. I just feel it's a term that's used, but we don't often know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like with when it comes to race, a lot of terms get thrown around, um, and it's good to interrogate what those terms mean and what they mean for different people. Yeah. So, um, so there's Dr. Daryl Wingsu, who's a professor of psychology at Columbia. Um, she has a book called Microaggressions in Everyday Life, and her definition, which I really like, um, it defines them as brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioural, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults towards people of colour. So essentially, little comments, actions, activities that kind of highlight the fact that someone is a per- like a person of colour and in an inferior way, a derogatory okay. way or a negative way, I'd say. So it's always from a place where somebody is feeling smaller than yes. the other person. or made to feel smaller. Okay, Yes, got it. Um, they've, they, she's even like gone on further to like break these microaggressions down, but I personally think that um, this isn't... Uh, we're not doing a psychology talk right now, yeah. so we're just going <laughs> to have microaggressions as an umbrella term. My favourite one... Um, obviously not my favourite, but my favourite one I have... God, my favourite ever microaggression was... Right, is, um, it's this little clutch that, um, unfortunately I'm going to have to bring in the old white ladies that they do. Yeah. When a black person, like, I don't know, walk, walks onto the bus maybe, they just grab their purse a little bit tighter towards them. And I've seen it a few times and now I look for it, which is, it's bad because that paranoia of being black in a, in a white space. That yeah. You're going to walk to someone and they're going to think you want to rob them because you're in a tracksuit or just because you're black and um, they just clutch their bag a little bit tighter do they or cross the road if you're walking towards them just cross the road completely oh my and goodness. like the thing well, is, and that happens with you i've seen that yeah that's happened with like, you I've, yeah no <laughs> <laughs> this is like, so <laughs> with anyone like you can't assume that someone's going to rob you you can't assume that someone brown is a terrorist you can't assume these things it's disgusting whatever prejudices you have inside your head you need to understand that there is not one categorization for every person of colour. Yeah. Like we don't ass- when it comes to white people, we don't assume all white people are the same. Yeah. It's like yesterday I was on the train, um, and this man came up to me and he was talking to me about oh, something about his bus bus actually and his, or his cake that he was eating. A little Saturday morning chat. I was in a good mood. Good for you, babe. But I had my headphones in, so I paused my music and he was like, Oh sorry, I didn't realise you were listening to something. What are you listening to? Is it that rap, that black rap? I was like, <laughs> I was like Sir. Um so I was like, no, actually, I'm listening to a podcast, which I was, I was listening to one of the comedians' podcast. And I was like, I'm listening to a po- comedy podcast. I don't even know I was explaining myself at this point, but I thought, I can't ignore him because he's sitting opposite me. Yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, is that a black comedy then? <laughs> I was like, uh, well, the man's black, but I wouldn't say it's specific to any race. Um, he's on Channel 4 sometimes, and that's for everybody, so, you know. Um, but yeah. I don't know if that would be classed as a microaggression, but... I mean, it's just... It's just, just annoying. Like, shut up. And ridiculous. also, you're assuming, based on the colour of my skin, what I like, what I dislike. And so what if I was listening to rap? If he caught me today, he would have caught me listening to rap. Next day, I might be listening to country music. You never know. And then more, in a couple of weeks' time, you might be listening to Educate. Right. A few more I've had. If you know me in real life, you'll know that I have different hair all the time. My favourite hair are waist-length braids. Yeah. I tend to go for different colours, a bit of grey, you know, blonde. I pink. like the pink. 
So I was in re working in retail and I was on the tills and a woman came up to me and she was like, oh my gosh, your hair's incredible. And I was like, thank you so much. She's like, does it take long to do? And I was like, oh, you know, it's like a time investment. It takes me about a good 10 hours, but you know, then I don't really have to like comb my hair out every day. So it's worth it. She was like, do you wash it? And I was like, no, actually I tell her like, she asked me first, how long do I keep it in for? Yeah. So I said around two, three months, like if it stays neat. Yeah. Then she said, do I wash it? Now, honestly, are you trying to... Are you putting out there that I'm dirty, that in three months I wouldn't wash my hair? Yeah. Why are you asking me if I wash... Do you think it? I'm you, feral? Have I ever... <laughs> would you ever go up to a white person, like, asking this woman, would you... I didn't say this, obviously, it was at work, I would have got fired. Would she ever go up to another white person with a cute hairstyle and say, oh, do you wash it? Why are you asking me if I wash my hair? That's obscene. Oh, what is wrong with you? I was like... Obviously you wash your hair. The thing is, I've had the question, like, how do you wash it? And that would make sense because it's an intricate hairstyle. And how do you wash it? It's quite finicky. Yeah. And yeah, you do have to be really careful and, like, individually, like, just give a little scrub on the scalp and go through each plait with the conditioner. Yeah. But do you wash it? And I, she looked at me like a... Like, I smell or something, like, do you wash it kind of stinks kind of thing. And I was thinking to myself, look, she washed it yesterday, but okay. And that's another one, like, a hair. I feel like a lot of black women have lots of hair microaggressions of like, oh, like, did it grow? And I'm like, no, my hair did not go from, like, yeah. neck length to knee length in a day. I am not a magician. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have black girl magic, it's a thing, but we're not that good. We need to channel it. Right, so oh. yeah, like, hair is a, is a common one. And the thing is, and oh, I don't know if it's my question, but it's people when they do the reach for your hair, uh, especially when yeah. I have natural hair and it's yeah. curly. And I'm like, I understand, like, it's different, it's new, it's unique, but please do. I feel like a, um, a dog that's yeah. being petted. Yeah. I feel like I'm being reduced to an animal because you just, anything that I feel like you wouldn't do to a white person, sure. why do you do it to a black person? Yeah. We've been here a long time. Yeah. You should be used to us by now. We're on TV, we're in film. We're in books. You know what we look like now. Because it's, it's almost spectacle, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And, and that's what they did to us in, in history. Like, they had yeah. us in freak shows. And, like, now I'm here at work, in a place of work, trying to do my job, and you want to pat my hair. <laughs> yes, please, I am a puppy. Yeah, I'll just <laughs> go down on all fours to and bark. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's very spectacle. And it's, it's uncomfortable as well. And you don't know how to react because there's part of you that thinks... And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt because mm. nobody's perfect and we all make ignorant comments. Um, we don't know everything about everything and that is absolutely okay. I feel like as long as your intentions are good. Yeah. But when you're like, come into my place of work, reducing me to an animal and then asking me if I wash my hair, like, no, thank you. Thing is though, I'm, I, I'm thinking now, when you got your hair done yeah. at Lily's, yeah. I touched your hair. Yeah. So that's bad for me. In a way. It, no, it is. Like, mm. I have to check myself. because that's. But then also, we're friends. Yeah. And I might touch your hair when you dye it blonde. Because I might be like, oh, feel soft. When yeah, you, true. And I have, because I remember one time, actually, <laughs> you were like, oh, I got this new shampoo. I think it was like a strawberry one. And we were literally smelling each other's hair. But that's what I mean. You're yeah. a friend. Yeah. There are boundaries. Well, like, I wouldn't go up to a stranger exactly. and touch their hair. My point, you wouldn't you wouldn't go shopping and yeah. then pat your um, sales assistant's head. Yeah. And that's my issue. And like, there is... Yeah, yeah. Friends, friends are friends. Like, yeah, yeah, My mum exactly. can do that to me. My brother can do that. My dad, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. friends and family can. Like, you know me and I have a new hair. Yeah. And, I have and it, hair. it really looked banging. Right. But that's what I mean, strangers. Like, you wouldn't go up to another... You'd go up to your white friends 
if they had new hair. Oh, cute. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, That's what sure. I said. If you're not going to do it to a white person, then why are you doing it to a black person? Yeah. That's what you have. That's I think that's what white people should ask themselves more. A hundred percent. Goodness me. What a, what a great mm. way to round that off. Do you think that people feel uncomfortable talking about race in Britain? Yes. There's a book I read. It's called Rennie, by Rennie Edo Lodge. Um, and it's called Oh, I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Right. And it started on about a blog post um, because she was just fed up of the backlash whenever she speaks to white people about race, of the just lack of understanding and lack of desire to understand where a black person's coming from. Yeah. Um, I think people are... I think on both sides on being black and being white. So black people, I think, are fed up of talking about race. I don't think they're uncomfortable, um, but they are uncomfortable in certain situations. Because if I have to speak to a whole room of white people about my lived experience as a black woman mm-hmm. and the times I felt racism and the times I felt paranoid walking into a white space because I am black, I would be very uncomfortable doing that because I would know you? the reception that I would get. You wouldn't understand. Not mm-hmm. you necessarily, but the well, whole room's not going to... And why would they? Because they're not, they haven't walked a mile in my shoes. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Um, so I would, but when it comes to white people feeling uncomfortable, I wish they wouldn't. Because mm-hmm. I think having a conversation, like dialogues like this, it, they're just so important. And in like non-judgmental spaces, like if someone uses the wrong term, why are we cancelling them? Yeah. Jumping down their throats. Like if I always think if your intentions are good... And you come at a conversation with good intentions, willing to learn, willing to interrogate um, an important issue, then why should you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, completely. And I think a lot of white people sometimes feel uncomfortable that if they speak, uncomfortable to the point that if they they feel if they speak about race, they'll get called racist if they say the wrong thing. Yeah. If you know deep down you're not racist and someone calls you racist, tell them to shut up. Yeah, completely. Why are you then like, oh, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. Oh, gosh. That old chestnut. I'm not racist. My uh, uncle's um, wife's sister's dog is black. I'm I'm not racist. I eat jerk chicken on the weekend. Good for you. Lovely. I hope you enjoy it. But yeah, I I feel like white people shouldn't be afraid of people calling them racist, especially if they know they're not. Yeah. Like, you know the definition of racist. If you're not racist, you're not racist. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, back to, like, little old white ladies, when they, you know, grab their purse, they aren't necessarily going to scream the N-word at a black person, which I would say is racist. But subconsciously, they have a racial prejudice against black people, young black boys, or, you know, the fact that they're grabbing their purse, the fact that they think, you know, black people are going to steal from them. That not, that's not necessarily them like, oh, your grand's racist, but yeah. she's got a bias and she probably isn't going to check that because she's probably had that bias her whole life. Yeah. But if you are trying to, you know, get into a conversation about race as a white person, then you need to uncheck. You need to check all the biases you have about people. Yeah. You need to think, like, when you walk into a room, like, and you look at certain people, do you think certain things straight away because of the colour of their skin or yeah. their gender? If you do, then, yeah, you've got some biases that you need to check. Yeah. Um, it might not be mean you're racist, but you are subconsciously racist. Yeah. And everyone needs to sort of yeah. face those mm-hmm. head on. Absolutely. Um, oh, wait. Before yeah. we carry on. Yeah. Do you ever feel uncomfortable talking about race? I think I do. Yeah. I don't want to feel uncomfortable talking about yeah. race. I would like to think mm. that I am not a racist person i'd hope so too yeah i mean i, I don't i'm not racist. not racist um i think that it's it comes back to cancel culture yeah i think that there is a real fear i think getting it wrong yeah and i think 
Do you know what? I was thinking about this the other day. Yeah. Because I remember, like, this is bad, but I remember at school, if you said, oh, um, like, this black guy, yeah. in a sentence just to, like, identify, someone would immediately go, racist. Yeah. And they'd say, oh, that's racist. <coughs> and then... And then you would immediately have that real sort of like weighted shame yeah. that would come on you and you'd be like, oh, like, no. Yeah, that's... it's just an identifying term. It's an observation. It's the colour of their skin. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, but what I find, I think, hard to navigate is why do people think that? I think it's come from people using blacks as a slur. Okay. So, you know, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Things like that. That's a that's a that's a sign that was on many a door. Oh, okay. Let's not put that in anyone's Twitter's bio. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's horrendous. Um, yeah, that was a common slur. So I think just root people. I think when something is, people can be quite reactionary. Right. And so the term blacks being a slur, we don't want really to use that. Then obviously you're only taking away one letter and saying someone's black. Right. Is that the reason why people are uncomfortable about it? Maybe. And also you had when we had terms like coloured. Yeah. The coloured lady or the West Indian lady. Yeah. Um, but as we moved into like the seventies, eighties and nineties, not everyone coming is from the West Indies. You've got a lot a big, big amount of African um, migration, people coming from Africa and sure. moving over to um, England. So then you can't just say the West Indian because they're probably not West Indian. They okay. might mostly be African. This is why the term black makes sense because yeah. it's just easy. Yeah, and there's nothing racist about it. But when people pussyfoot around the word and they like the oh the um uh, the, 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 the black man. Yeah. That's when you can jump on it and say, like, why like, why did you feel the need to stutter? Like, yeah, Why couldn't you just say it with your chest? I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with just saying black. People, I find that people have... I read a story on Twitter and it was this woman trying to, like, identify a black man. And instead of just saying the black man, she was like, oh, you know the man? Um, dark hair, glasses, quite tall. Um, <laughs> she even got to the point where she said the African-American. Oh, no. Even though she was in Britain, because she just didn't want to say black. I don't know why, because we are black and white people are white. And it, and it, I think... Was that by white people or yeah. black people? What? Which is funny, because I always find when white people say something's racist, it's probably not racist, because <laughs> you're not black and you don't know. Like, I can tell you what offends me and what is racist. Yeah. I don't feel like someone could then... A white person could tell me that was actually racist. Yeah. Mate, if I thought that was racist and I was offended by it, then... It's the same way it goes the other way when people say... Oh, you shouldn't be offended by that. Well, I was offended. Yeah. So, yeah, where do we go from here? Sure. I think there is this real tendency in British culture to sort of tiptoe around topics. And I actually think it's perhaps due to the echo chamber of social media. We're not exposed to different circles. And that can mean in anything that could be like you know, exposed to people that wouldn't identify as feminists or whatever. But I feel like there is a real tendency to uh, not open up discussions to hear the other side. Um, These algorithms are keeping us in boxes. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, we're surrounded by people like us. Social media keeps us in these boxes. We we follow people we like and then we have similar views with. I'm not going to go and follow, like, a racist. No. And don't get me wrong, I don't advise anyone to do that. But maybe I should follow some people that are maybe conservative voters or wanted to, want to leave the EU to interrogate why that yeah. is and maybe should I change my opinion or should I be thinking about other things or other things I've missed out from my little well, that's, yeah life. completely and it's like when we think about talking about you know people that have different perspectives on things and different life experiences and are from different cultural backgrounds 
I think the fear of getting it wrong. Yeah. You can get vilified on social media. Absolutely. And I think that there's also that thing of leaving a like a um, what's it called like a a, a virtual trail. Yeah. Because the fear of something catching up with you. Right. Five years down the line for a yeah. job interview, and oh, by the way, we saw the tweet made in 2012. Yeah, and, and it's happened to so many people now. I think that's what the issue is. The f- sort of backlash. Yeah, and uh, people. I don't understand. For me, is that are people actually sitting down at their computers digging up racist tweets or sexist tweets or homophobic tweets? Yeah. Because, like, why do you have that much time? And people change. And don't get me wrong. I think some people, some of the things, some people I've seen that people have said vile are vile and disgusting. But I like to think I'm a forgiving person and I feel like if someone apologises and sincerely means it and doesn't hold those views anymore yeah. and understands where they went wrong and understands the person that they were then and the person that they hopefully have become now, why are we cancelling people? We're yeah. human beings. And you, But I feel like we we sort of don't allow any room for mistakes but at the like, moment. And we're so young. Yeah. We have still got, like, I, do you think in 30 years' time I'm going to hold the views I hold now? Oh, yeah. 100%. And even though maybe none of my views are problematic now, we're probably, I'm probably going to, there's going to be things this podcast oh that you're going to have to delete, Katie. I'm like, I can't get that job. I've said this now. <laughs> then, like, times change and we've become very sympathetic. And as you know, we call the snowflake generation. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think we're becoming a lot more empathetic to a lot more different types of people and their views. Yeah. And that's lovely in a way. And yeah, maybe some people are a bit more sensitive than they used to be. But surely if we're all growing in that way, then let's all go there and let's all think about what we say twice because we might offend somebody. Yeah. And like, if you do problem? offend someone, let them tell you why. Right. You can listen to it. Even if you don't agree with it. Right? Exactly. Just listen to it and exactly. and be mindful. Yeah. Oh, honestly. And I feel like this is a great way to round off our amazing I love it. discussion. It was just yeah, so... It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much.